0: Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast, I'm Sean Cooper and it's great to be back for another episode. On today's show, I'll be talking to Rubina Ahmed-Hawk. Rubina's episode is the latest in a series of podcast shows on women in real estate. In the coming weeks, I'll be interviewing successful female real estate investors to help encourage and inspire more women to get into real estate. Rubina is a personal finance expert journalist, and public speaker. Rubina's passion for all things money started at a young age growing up in Canada with her frugal parents. Their money-saving ways stuck and built the foundation for her work today. For 20 years, Rubina has been reporting news and stories at CBC, Global News, CTV, Yahoo Finance, and others. Rubina is also the host of her own podcast, Dear Ruby. In my interview with Rubina, we discuss her journey into real estate investing with her brother, the hurdles women face when investing in real estate, and her experience as a landlord. Without further ado, here's my interview with Rubina Ahmed-Hawk. Hi Rubina, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing really well, Sean. Thanks for having me on your podcast.
0: That's wonderful to chat with you and you interviewed me a few years ago. Looking forward to reversing the roles and interviewing you this time.
1: Oh, Thanks. I'm looking forward to it too.
0: Great. Well, let's get started. Now, I understand you're a real estate investor as well. What first inspired you to invest in real estate?
1: I always grew up with an understanding that real estate is a good investment. It's a good place to put your money because you can see it and feel it and look at it. So I had those values kind of instilled in me from an early age. And so I've, I was always interested in purchasing real estate. But to be honest, the reason I even got into real estate as an investor where I buy something and rent it out was because it just happened that my brother was looking for a place at the same time. And we just sort of had this aha moment where we thought if we combine our finances, we can afford something pretty substantial and then maybe use it as an investment down the road. So. It was kind of just a combination of a number of things happening at the same time that just made us realize that this was the right move. But I remember even when I was living abroad, I, I remember thinking, oh, okay, I'm paying this much rent for my apartment. What if I was to buy it? I remember seeing that an, a pretty similar apartment in the same complex was available for 90,000 pounds. So I thought, okay, if I got a mortgage, how much money would I have and how would it work in another country? So I think it's always just been top of mind for me. But It wasn't really an inspiration. It was just something that's always just been ingrained in me.
0: That's a great story. And today having the mortgage stress test, it certainly helps to pull your resources together. And I had a mortgage client where one of the clients wanted to buy property on her own, but when she saw what her purchasing power was, she decided to buy property together with her sister and her sister's boyfriend. So yeah, it certainly helps to combine all your resources, your income and your down payment. It can certainly help you buy a decent property in a good neighborhood and you don't necessarily need to drive until you qualify as they like to say.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Great. Well, following up on that, can you tell the listeners about your journey into real estate investing? Like, This was the first property, but maybe you could tell us about other properties as well and different properties you've owned over the years.
1: So the first property I bought with my brother was in 2005 and we still own it today in Toronto and we bought our second property the following year or like 18 months later and really it was because we realized we were really good at it like We just knew that we knew what to look for. We knew the kind of properties that sat around on the market for a while that people didn't want, but we saw the value in them. And so we really focused on triplexes because my theory is, is that if you want to buy a rental property, if it has three units, if one unit is empty for even six months, the other two can at least partially carry all all your costs, whether it's your mortgage or your utilities or whatever it is that it costs for you to run that property. And whereas if you buy a one unit condo, that condo lies empty for a few months you're carrying it all out of your own pocket So we just realized that that's what we were good at. So we bought the second one like a year and a half later, but we were managing everything on our own. So we didn't obviously have kids then and I was single, my brother was single. So we had a lot of time that we could spend doing things like fixing leaky pipes or chasing tenants for rent. And then we just kind of one day realized that we needed help. And so we hired a property manager and the catalyst for hiring the property manager was that someone actually died in one of our units, just of natural causes. He was there for two days before anyone really knew He was kind of a, you know, kept to himself kind of guy. So no one really checked up on him. And so I realized at that point, I'm like, there's things happening that I can't even predict. So obviously that meant we had to really rip everything out of that apartment. I didn't really feel good about renting it back with like the same carpet on the floor and stuff like that because he had been lying there for two days and then we had to find his next of kin. And so it was pretty heavy. I think after that incident, we realized that the obvious stuff you can prepare for, like you might have to replace your roof. And we had our heating go one time where none of the tenants had heat. So we had to organize Enbridge to come in and put space heaters and that kind of stuff. You can kind of assume that those things are going to happen in your rental investment journey. But that really told me that that's something that never would have crossed my mind that we'd have to deal with. And having the property manager in place now, obviously, takes a cut of all rents collected. I mean, it costs money. It's It's not cheap and it's not free. But I I think that that has made managing those properties a lot easier. And then my husband and I bought one, uh, an investment two years ago and we bought a duplex. I really was looking for a triplex, but there just wasn't anything that we could afford with those characteristics. So we bought a duplex, but still the same kind of idea that there should be more than one rent coming in because if you get a place with just one rent, then you're really reliant on that one person. And as you probably know as well, being a real estate investor, uh, renters are not always as reliable and sometimes they can be late. Sometimes they can move out without much warning. And that can leave you in a sort of financial pickle.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. You've made some great points. The interesting point about having like a triplex and a duplex versus just renting to one renter. I saw it as just having one renter might be good because then you don't have to always worry about occupying the other units. But then you made another great point about how if that one renter leaves or they're not able to pay the rent on time, then you're out like 100% of your rent. So I guess there's risks both ways. I mean, it seems to me having two or three renters in in the property in a duplex or triplex, you're kind of spreading your risks. You could see why you'd want to go with two or three people as opposed to one. And just curious, I've heard some people give glowing reviews of property manager. But then I've heard other people saying that the property manager doesn't really, I guess, care about the property as much as the owner. What's your experience been like working with a property manager? Do you feel comfortable leaving the property manager on their own to look at the property or how often do you check in and what's your experience been like with the property manager?
1: He has been managing a properties for us since two thousand and eight. So we're really happy with him. He's a pretty full on kind of guy. In the beginning it took me a while to kind of get used to his style because he really is meticulous on things and sometimes I feel overwhelmed with things he was asking. So we're very happy with him. I give him a five star review. He's always pushing us to improve the properties. He's always kind of giving us tips on things that we can do proactively so that we're not stuck, you know, with all of a sudden like the deck falling down or something like that. So things that maybe as regular Investors, we probably would be more reactive, and he's probably more proactive. So sometimes that can be expensive. Like you're thinking, well, why am I redoing this deck if it's totally fine right now? But then if you leave it, it it might be a more expensive job down the road. Whereas if you schedule it and you let the tenants know, like that's just a lot easier way of getting things done. So that took a little getting used to because I I would kind of push back and say, well, why are we spending this money if it hasn't broken yet? Like if it's not broken, why fix it kind of thing, right? But so for me, it's been great. But then he also managed properties for other people that we know we recommended him to and it didn't work out for them. So it might be a personality thing. It might be the level of service that he was providing wasn't the same for them. I don't know what the the deal was. Kind of like hiring a babysitter for your kids. If you don't trust them to take care of your properties, then you probably should find another property manager because they're taking care of a massive investment for you. And the reason you hire them is because you don't want to be down there every month looking at it. Although we do try at least two to three times a year to to go and take a look because it's my brother and I, so we can kind of split it up and one of us can go and take a look. But there's units I haven't been in for for seven, eight, nine years because they've always been tenanted and the turnover has been so quick. I've never been able to get back in there again.
0: Where are these properties located? I mean, are they close by or are they in somewhere far off like Windsor or Niagara Falls?
1: No, both of them are in Toronto, like sort of upper beaches area. And the one that I have with my husband is in Mississauga. So it's pretty close to a GO train station, which is why we chose it. And so that's another thing is I always tell real estate investors is that people get really stuck on finding a home that they want to live in, right? So like they'll go and look at properties and like they don't want to live there. So why would they buy it, which is really the wrong way to do it. What you want to do is buy a place that is walking distance to as many things as possible. That's like the number one, because renters often are people using the bus are people who are, you know, wanting to get quick access to stuff. And they may not have a car because maybe they're just here for a short time and they're renting while they're here. And also, I always say like, for example, the last house we bought, the reason it wasn't selling is because it was right up against a church parking lot. So obviously, a family wouldn't want to be looking at a parking lot their whole life, right? Like you're washing your dishes and you're looking at a parking lot, like that's not the most attractive view. And that's why that place wasn't selling, but it was a great location. The house, was in good condition. It had a small water problem, which we took care of. It was $10,000 to take care of it. We did it right away, maybe even a little bit more than that. Look for properties that people don't want to live in as their forever home, but are in great locations with great access to amenities and sometimes are right next door to something that people don't want to, I don't want to buy my forever home next to a parking lot. I don't. And I would not want to live there. But if I was a renter, I'd love living there because you just walk in the buses there and the grocery stores there and transit is there. And that's what renters want. The parking lot doesn't bother them because they're not living there forever either.
0: So many great points. And thank you for sharing your wisdom on that with our listeners. Switching gears for a moment, women seem to face some more challenges when it comes to investing in real estate. So I'm just wondering if you could perhaps talk about personal experience or experiences that you've heard from family and friends, but perhaps you could talk about some hurdles women face when investing in real estate on their own and how they can possibly overcome them.
1: I mean, the only hurdle like for me personally I face is that because I'm buying with my brother, people have this assumption that I'm his wife. And so that's kind of irked me a little bit. It's like, why can't I just be an individual investor and he can be an individual investor and we both bring our own finances to the table? Like often we've gone to sign mortgage papers and they've put us as Mr. and Mrs. and we've had to change them obviously because he's my sibling. So things like that irked me like this sort of perception that a woman can't be in the real estate business like that. Dealing with our property manager in the beginning, like I kind of did feel like he sometimes would sort of defer to my brother for the more, he, my, and also my brother's an engineer. So I think that's just, you know, he, he had a different kind of way of thinking about stuff. He would defer some of the more complicated structural questions to my brother. But now that I own this property with my husband, I'm his point of contact. So I, you know, I realize that it's just about making myself known. It's not really about him choosing who he's going to talk to. But I can imagine like, I, you know, as, as a woman that if you wanted to be, especially if you wanted to manage the property on your own, like getting people to pay rent and making sure that people do what they're supposed to be doing as tenants. Like we have obviously rules with our places, like putting the garbage out and keeping the grass cut and the snow cleared like when you sometimes have to sort of, you know, show a little bit of muscle and say, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, that a woman might feel more intimidated if it was like two guys living there. And and I don't think you should. I mean, you're just as relevant. You own that place. It's your property. You should take care of it and they should listen to you.
0: I agree completely because unfortunately with the wage gap as well, women find it a bit harder to qualify for mortgages and save money. I mean, Not sure what can really be done about that. But yeah, certainly all these things can be overcome. And I guess you just need to have some experience under your belt and then you get more competent with each property that you acquire.
1: Yeah, I I would agree with that. I mean, it's just like anything... Even buying your first home can be really intimidating, whether you're a man or a woman. But once you do it, it's like you break the seal and it just feels more comfortable doing it the next time. Like I'm in the process of selling my home right now. I've never sold a home before and it's a little bit scary and a bit confusing. Like, you know, having people come through your house and give you feedback and I've never had that happen. So it's something, it's kind of been a learning curve for me too.
0: Great. And we'll touch on that later on in the conversation. Glad that you brought that up. You briefly touched upon your experience as a landlord and talked about it in depth, actually. But I was just wondering from your personal experience, do you have any tips on finding the perfect tenants? And perhaps you could tell me about what your relationship is with the property manager and how many tenants you found yourself and whether you outsource that to the property manager and how that whole relationship works.
1: So in the beginning, we, like my brother and I would vet the tenants ourselves. We did a terrible job because we had a lot of terrible tenants. So we didn't do things like credit checks. We didn't even really do like an employment letter. Like we just didn't know what we were doing. We just basically found someone who wants to pay us money and we let them move in. So we did have quite a few people that didn't pay rent that we had to chase that then we had to go to like the landlord and tenant board and file paperwork to get our rent back. And so there was, you know, there's a lot of that that went on in the beginning. And I think that also overwhelmed us because in total at that time, we had six units. So there was like six opportunities for people not to pay rent every month. And then in many of the units, it was a split lease where two people had moved in, but they were both names were on the lease. Like they, they sort of owned half the lease each, which was kind of complicated too, because one would pay their rent. So they're obviously allowed to stay in the unit, but the other one wouldn't. And so how do you manage that, right? Things like that. With the property manager, he's much more thorough. He does credit checks. He also vets people like he he has sort of a sixth sense as to how long people are going to stay. So he will make an extra special effort if a tenant applies that he can sort of see is going to be a long term tenant is going to be, a you know, a, a not a problem tenant. He really likes it when single people apply like one person because it's easier to deal with them. So I that's just something I've noticed that he really kinda of gets excited if like one person applies for a three bedroom apartment. He's like, let's get this person in. Like even if we take a bit of a cut on the rent, like let's get them in because one person obviously like, you know, are less utilities being used, less everything, right? I mean, I guess my at the my process sucked. I mean, we didn't really take very good tenants. By now, I'm sure I would have gotten better at it, but we haven't done that since two thousand and eight. It's always been done by the property manager. He always passes it by us before he chooses a person, but we sort of learned to trust his judgment because he's so good at it.
0: No, that's great to hear. And yeah, certainly, you know, I, I wasn't amazing at finding tenants myself. I mean, my first set of tenants, I was introduced to them through a friend of a friend, and they took good care of my properties and no complaints there. But with the second set of tenants, I guess I kind of gave them the benefit of the doubt and they didn't look like the perfect tenants on paper, but they seem so, I guess, glad to have the opportunity to rent my property, but it ended up being a disaster and they did damage and like police had to be called several times. And yeah, it just wasn't a fun situation, especially when I'm living on the property myself and things like that's going on. So especially if you're living on the property yourself, I would say it's so important to screen your tenants because, you know, you want to feel safe and comfortable in your own property. And certainly, as I like to say in my presentation. Presentations, it's easier to screen out bad tenants than it is to evict them once they're living in your property because you can't just tell them to leave they have rights so you know certainly do your due diligence upfront and your homework up front so that you don't have to have an unfortunate situation where you have to evict them out of the property because that's not really a fun situation to deal with
1: yeah exactly i mean you there's a lot like as a landlord you feel guilty too like right? you're putting someone out of their home so having a property manager kind of sort of third person like mediator between you so you don't feel it just feels different
0: great now you alluded to it earlier you recently put your house up for sale what prompted you to do that do you have any moving tips and any tips for selling your home for top dollar
1: So the reason we're selling is because I don't believe that our home is a very good investment. I think it's a beautiful home and it's great for a family that wants to live in it, which we have for the last 10 years. But in order for us to carry this mortgage, we'd have to command a pretty high rent, which we could get. But it being a condo, it has a condo fee and I don't like that variable where the condo fee can constantly go up and so that eats into your profits as an investment. I personally don't like condo investment. I think they're very risky. I know a lot of people that do it, but it's just personally, I think it's, it's, it's not for me. For top dollar, I mean, all those typical things, like we decluttered everything. We had the house staged. Our realtor set us up with us, a house stager, which was great. They didn't put new furniture in, but they just kind of put decor pieces that just makes the place look a lot more updated. And I thought that was really good. They used the space like wisely. They moved a couple things around to kind of make the place look bigger. This is advice that I didn't take, but I really think the best time to sell your home is like March, April time, which we kind of missed that window for whatever reason. And if you do have a long time horizon, you know you're going to be moving, sell your home at that, that time because there's just so many more people looking. And from a personal finance point of view, and we did not do this, but for a personal finance, I always think you should sell your home first and then buy because then you know how much money you have in hand rather than buying and then trying to get top dollar for your house. I am finding that a little bit stressful.
0: So wait, what order are you doing it in, Rubina?
1: Buy and then sell our place.
0: Oh gosh. So I do you, do, I'm
1: not taking my own advice.
0: Do you feel like a bit under the gun or are you doing bridge financing or do you feel like you have to sell it in a certain time frame?
1: Yeah, no, we definitely do have to sell it in a certain time frame, and we have to make sure we get as much money as possible because every dollar we get more here, we can put against the mortgage there. But my thinking was, is that I would rather find the home that I love and then sell this place for whatever price, than sell this place and then scramble to find a place and not like the home that I'm purchasing because that, I didn't want to go down that route. I mean, we're in a position where we can afford to do that. But I would think like if you really were counting on the money that you're going to take from the sale then you should sell first and know what you have in hand and then shop around for that 90 days
0: before your house closes. Yeah, exactly. And we're not doing
1: bridge financing because it hasn't closed
0: yet. So we haven't got possession. Sure. No worries. And yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with, I know it can be a bit of a pain to move somewhere in between, but there's nothing wrong with renting somewhere temporarily until you're able to find a property. I mean, you don't necessarily need to feel under pressure to find a property. I know that's a bit of a pain to kind of move somewhere temporarily. I mean, maybe if you can stay with family and put your stuff in storage or even just find somewhere to rent short term. But I mean, I definitely don't think you should compromise and buy a place just for the sake of buying a place.
1: Exactly. I think, I mean, just like anything else, you roll the dice on big financial transactions and you just figure out what's best for you. For a lot of sort of your listeners, I'm assuming they're probably first time home buyers. And although you don't have as much down payment, most likely, you're in a pretty good position because you can take your time looking around because you might be renting or living at home and you can have a very long closing. You could have a 90 day, even longer than that if the, the seller wants to. And then take your time sort of getting all your paperwork together, getting all your ducks in a row. And I would really recommend that once you've purchased a place to try to minimize the amount of mortgage you take, you know, mortgage brokers will often give you a number that you can, you can borrow, you know, this Sean being one, they'll often tell you, well, this is how much you can qualify for, but that doesn't mean that you should just take all the money because that means, yes, you qualify for it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to allow you to have the kind of lifestyle maybe that you want to have. You might put yourself in a position where you borrow more than you need because you wanted to buy new furniture, you wanted to put drapery or whatever, and then you're thinking oh my gosh like you know I'm really spending most of my salary just paying my mortgage so just be aware of that too like just because the bank tells you they'll lend it to you doesn't mean you have to take all the money and try to go into a home with as small of a mortgage as possible even if you can shave five thousand dollars off it that's five thousand dollars that you don't have to pay interest on when you move into that home
0: yeah, exactly. It's no fun being house rich and cash poor. And I recommend to my mortgage clients basically let them know what the monthly mortgage payment would be. And I recommend that they do like a budget ahead of time and just look at all the costs of home ownership, like the utilities, the property taxes, budget amount for repairs and maintenance, because you don't want to be surprised by those expenses when you move into the property later on and find too much of your money is going towards housing costs. You know, you need to have money to save. For, for retirement and other goals. I mean, you know, if you just spend all your money on your house and you don't have any money to go out to restaurants or go on a vacation, I don't think your spouse is going to be very happy either too. So it's definitely important to find balance in your finances and it all starts with your home because it's the biggest expense for most people. So certainly important to run the numbers ahead of time rather than being surprised later on.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think like some of the people that we went to see how homes from would get annoyed because I would ask them for what the average utility costs were. And um, like they would have to kind of scramble to kind of get those together. Whereas when we put our house on the market, like we have those numbers readily available, because I think it's really important. And some people have been like really surprised, like, oh, it's so it's not very expensive so I think that's a good selling point like to show that this is a pretty energy efficient home and like so it's going to cost you a lot less than you know maybe buying a detached home would like why wouldn't we have those numbers available so I was surprised how many times realtors had to go back to the homeowner to ask those questions like how much does it cost to heat your home how much does it cost to cool your home like those kind of things that I feel like you should have available when you sell your home before even putting it on
0: the market We shared so many great pieces of advice. So i just like to say it's been wonderful having you on the show. Before I let you go, is there anything of interest that you're working on that you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: Well, I have uh, my own podcast, DearRuby.com. So D-E-A-R-R-U-B-I.com, sort of a play on my name, Rubina. We are just starting out. We've got three episodes. So it'd be great if your listeners could go and take have a listen. And if they have a question for Dear Ruby, they can record it and send it to me. And we can try to answer it on the podcast. Otherwise, they can check me out on my website, AlwaysSaveMoney.com, all one word. Um, and if you have any questions, you want to reach out and ask uh, anything about this conversation or about anything else that I do, I'm more than happy to answer those.
0: Great. And you're all over TV and the media as well. Where, where can people catch you on TV? And are you on the radio as well?
1: Yeah, my two main places that you'll hear and see me is CBC Radio and television. I'm the personal finance columnist at CBC, and I'm also the personal finance expert for Global News Radio, AM640, and Global News Toronto, the television station. So that's the main places you can find me. But otherwise, I do a lot of writing for lots of different websites and magazines. So as, as a freelancer, and as you well know, Sean, every day is different. So you might see my work in all different types of places.
0: I'd be surprised if our listeners haven't heard of you, so you know, definitely check out Rubina's work if you haven't already. He's definitely one of the pioneers of the personal finance industries.
1: Oh, thanks for saying that. that's really nice of you. You're
0: welcome. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. It was great chatting today. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Burn Your Mortgage podcast. Besides being a podcast host, I'm also an independent mortgage broker. If you or anyone you know family, friends, co-workers, or neighbors could ever use any unbiased mortgage advice or second opinion, feel free to reach out. Email me at sean, that's S-E-A-N, at burnyourmortgage.ca, or call or text me at 647-867-3711 for a free mortgage consultation. Also, be sure to head on over to www.burnyourmortgage.ca and sign up for my free weekly newsletter. As a small token of my appreciation, you'll be able to download my Ultimate Mortgage Checklist on Choosing the Perfect Mortgage. I look forward to hearing from you and helping you with all your mortgage needs. Once again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating. Until next time, happy mortgage burning.